Hi, welcome to the Camacho Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Camacho. The interview you are about to hear was conducted live and has been edited for your listening pleasure. To join a Lori Live interview or to participate in the Camacho Career Support Group, please find us on Facebook at the Camacho Careers Group page. For a list of upcoming events or to contact me directly, please visit lauricamacho.com. Welcome. My name is Lori Camacho, and I am a career coach and also a career enthusiast. I guess you would say I'm in a lot of different areas. Some of you might know me from JS101, and I'm here with Rick. And Rick, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Gillis, and God, I've been in this job search space for a long time. Accidentally, I helped launch the very first job board in Houston. And um, seriously, that is so long ago that we were in business for over a year before we even had a search engine. That's how far back I go. Do you want to tell us about what it was like to be a part of launching Houston's first job Yeah, board? it was interesting. I was, uh, I won't lead up to everything, but my wife and I moved to Houston. We're from El Paso. We moved here, uh, matter of fact, August would be 25 years we've been here. And I had been uh, in commercial real estate for 10 years prior to that. And I didn't want to stay in that business. So I started chopping around. And uh, I'm a musician. I've been playing for years and years. So I went to work at the Guitar Center. And I rapidly figured out that at my age and at my professional level, um, I couldn't make enough money at the Guitar Center. So I started looking for something else. And I found this thing called Westwood One Radio. And I started selling traffic reports. This traffic report bought to you by. And I saw a fax one day by a group called HoustonEmployment.com. And this is in the old days. This was faxes that weren't even in sheets. You had to tear it off if you're old enough to remember that. And I saw it and I went to these guys and I said, you don't want, it was two guys working in their dining room. And I said, you guys don't want me, you need me. I said, I'm the guy, I believe in this whole thing. And I had a lot of history and employment space anyway. And uh, so it was three of us in their dining room, literally. Um, I became the employee number one salesman. And I went out there and I was explaining this newfangled internet. I mean, people actually said that to me, this newfangled internet. And I, and I told you, Lori, I told you earlier, dream success was because the Houston Chronicle in their wisdom declared that this internet thing was a fad. It was going to pass. So they weren't going to get involved. So for almost two years, I had no competition. And as a result, I spent 10 years calling on um, professional hiring of all kind, HR professionals, staffing companies. I learned what they wanted. I learned what they liked. I heard what they were saying. And then I started getting asked to go to different ministries and and job search organizations. That led to speaking. That led to writing four books on job search, um, hosting two radio shows, a TV show here in Houston for Houston Community College. So, you know, but the bottom line is I learned all of this from os- by osmosis. I didn't study in this. I have no HR or staffing experience. It's totally been absorbed. So now, so how many years do you think would you put a number on actually researching the job search process for your books and for your speaking engagements? Yeah, 22 years. I can tell you this November will be 23 years I have been in this space. I mean, I know it was in November of 1997. I mean, that was the Neolithic ages of the internet. It was the dark ages. It was, we were, I know the number of websites there were in the world at that time and we were right there in the very beginning. So I learned a lot of stuff. I learned applicant tracking systems as they were being developed. I learned resume filtering. Mm-hmm. Great. So what are some of the ministries here in Houston that you've been, that you've gone and spoken at? Maybe some of the people coming in might've seen you. Um, you know, uh, the, well, job ministry Southwest in Sugarland, and then between job ministries up in um, the North side of town, North Houston. Um, I spent a lot of time there. In fact, in my first two books, I thanked pastor farmer, at the uh, Between Job Ministries up at, the, uh, up at his church. Um, but I've spoken literally from coast to coast to coast. A lot of those were ministries, but a lot of that was uh, organizations, associations. I've done a lot of speaking for project management. I mean, Region 6, which is Texas, uh, Oklahoma, Louisiana, up to St. Louis. I've covered a lot of the country speaking mm-hmm. to project managers as well. So I've covered a lot of ground and... Um, it's interesting that I tell people how to find a job, but I don't know what it is they do. For instance, if you're a chemical engineer and you're looking for a job, I can help you get there. No question. I have no idea what a chemical engineer does. 
you know, it's so it's that it's I, I can get you to the point and I can even prep you and how to interview for the, your specialty, your field, your vertical. But I don't know anything but job search and a little music. <laughs> That's great. So do you work with uh, corporations at all? Can you explain? You what know what? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, really, that's it. No, I haven't. Like I said, I have no HR or staffing experience. Now, that said, I have spoken for 10 years. Not, yeah, I guess about 10 years. I, I exhibited as a vendor at the HR Houston Symposium every year, which is the Houston uh, chapter of SHRM, the Society of Human Resource Management. Um, so once again, I made a lot of friends in the industry, in the space. And I was quite candidly too. I learned a lot from those people, those HR managers and stuff. I learned what they didn't like. I learned what they did like. I learned personality. I learned the best way to submit your documentation that they would actually spend some time with it. So, um, but as far as having real HR, no, I, I'm, I'm an imposter. I tell people that I'm an imposter. I learned this by osmosis. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the top tips that you would recommend as far as what HR people, personality you said, and also other things, resumes that they like, certain little tips that you. You know what? Um, here's one thing that I tell everybody, and I see this in every resume I look at. I like a resume submitted to have a lot of white space on it. I've looked at a resume the other day for a friend of mine, and in two pages, he had like 13, 1400 words. And I actually do highlight these on a Word document, and it gives you the word count. Uh -huh. And I look at that, and like, now here's the thing, which you need to think about. There's actually two audiences for your resume. Number one, it's the recruiter. The person who is actually scanning resumes after the software does its initial check on the resumes because the way software works now, if you don't make it through the software first, it doesn't even make it to the recruiter's desk. Mm -hmm. So let's say a recruiter has 15 positions they're trying to fill for, 15 requisitions, and they received 100 resumes for each requisition today. Do you really think they're going to look at 1,500 resumes? They're going to scan them. And this yes. is one of the things that I tell people, and I used to ask lots and lots of recruiters, how long do you spend on a resume? How many do you get a day? Mm -hmm. And right now, with this whole coronavirus thing, and the fact that the dynamics of employment have changed, like the recession, like the internet bubble that I went through with people, and the reason I became so popular at that time, and people wanted to hear more, was because there were so many people in need. Mm -hmm. um, keep it succinct, keep it on point, and, you know, let me go back. I, I neglected to finish this, what I was saying earlier. Keep it simple. You don't need to tell them everything you've ever done. What you need to focus on is how, and this is the only reason you're going to get a job, anybody is ever going to get a job, is because you're going to express how you're going to make somebody money or you're going to save somebody money. The only reason people hire is because they have a problem solved. That's the only reason. Yeah. If I don't have a problem, the only person I'm going to hire that I don't even want to hire is going to be my son-in-law because I got to give the knucklehead a job. And you do that by specifically talking about accomplishments. And to say you did something is not an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. To say you did something with a net result, mm -hmm. that's what people want to see. That's great. So what advice can you give someone who is going to write their resume and they're trying to get these accomplishment statements, but they don't have a direct percentage or number to put with that accomplished statement? How would you advise them to phrase their accomplishment statement or what kind of value do they pull out of that? It's okay to say, I achieved approximately, I was responsible for about, you don't have to have hard numbers, but you should be able to, here's, here's the thing. Whatever you put on that resume, be prepared to defend it. And that's one of the things that I put in, my new, in several of my books. I've talked about the defensible statement. If you told me you sold $100,000 of something and $100,000 is a natural parameter for whatever it is we're doing, construction equipment or something like that, I'll accept that if I'm in the space. So if I told you that I leased 40,000 square feet, I'm going to have to prove it. That's a lot of square feet to lease unless you're leasing to a Walmart or something. That's... Those are huge deals. So you're saying, so try and pick standards that are typical for the industry that you could, that you wouldn't be challenged on, but that are maybe pretty average. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I don't want to say average. Uh, yeah. Just be careful there. That's a good one. No, um, defensible standards within your industry. And you so, say you sold 
a million dollars worth of something, <laughs> I'm not going to believe you. It's just that yeah. simple. Yeah. But if you say you were you sold um, 16% of all the volume in a certain store, I'm going to want to know more. I would love to have somebody who could sell 15 to 20% of my product in my store. So yeah, that's it. But And listen, everybody has accomplishment. I don't care what it is. I haven't thought about this in years. Um, there was a hospital that I called on for a long time, one of the big ones in, in the Houston Medical Center. And on the way out, I used to always pay for my parking. And this woman that worked in the money for the parking lot, and I got to where I'd say hello to her and talk to her a little bit. And one day I was coming through, there was nobody behind me. And she said, what do you do? You come in here a lot. And I said, well, I'm, I'm talking to these people. I'm teaching them how to use our job board. And it came down around to, she said, oh, I've never done anything. I can't, I don't have any accomplishment to talk about. And I said, no, that's not right. Everybody has accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And as we, as I came through, long story short, she finally told me, because I said, there's got to be something you're proud of that you have done. And she told me, she says, you know, in 16 years working here, I have never had a short drawer. In other words, end of the day, in 16 years, she had never missed a dollar or a dime. And I went, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're doing it really well and you think that's normal. That's not. Helped her draft a resume and she yeah. got moved inside the hospital. This woman had been working outside in this little hut. And you know how in Houston they're so hot or they're so cold. Yeah. And, you know, and she was so thankful for that. If you've worked for a company for 30 to 45 days or better, if you've worked for a company for two or three years and you're creating value or you would not be there. When you cost the company more, and what it costs to keep you, you're out of here. It's just yes. that simple. So do you think encouraging somebody to talk with other people to kind of draw out that value? That's what I see a lot in my own coaching appointments is just helping the client to talk through, asking them questions about what it is that they really did. And then I think the passion kind of naturally starts to come out and that can sometimes be its own business value, right? One of the things that I require, and I have not been worse because I've been writing my new book. So nevertheless, this is something I would still require. If I was to take on a client today, the first thing I do is I have a 30 or 45 minute discussion with them and I tell them what is not negotiable. If you want me to accept you as a client, you will be required to create a list of personal best accomplishments. I have done this with brand new college kids. I have, and listen, college kids, we can get high school achievements. We can get off school jobs. We can do, I can find all kinds of stuff. You know, we just have to uh -huh. talk about it. But I require somebody to give me at minimum eight to 10 personal best accomplishments. Mm -hmm. I want to know the who, what, where, when, why, and how the accomplishment. In other words, you're going to have to tell me the whole story of how that accomplishment came to be who was involved in it. And here, and, and I, I know I told you this story earlier and I repeat this story often because it's a true story and it's a good one. I worked with an engineer and I asked her to give me that list. And she came to me after about three or four days, you could tell she had worked on this really hard. And she handed me, literally handed me 18 pieces, pieces of paper in her work as an EPA state of Texas certified chemical engineer. <laughs> and I took the first one, I looked at it and I handed it, and I glanced at it. That's all I was doing, just glancing. And she looked at me and she said, aren't you going to read those? And I said, no, I don't even know what these words mean. I'm not a chemical engineer. But what I had done is I had prepped her for the interview. And this is a woman, I know I told you the story, so I'm repeating this to you, but she had not worked in 12 years because she had gone home to have a family. Yeah. But she was top of her game when she left the office and about five and a half, six months, and she landed. And within about three years, and, and to this day, she's in charge of her own group. And, you know, I mean, she's really a responsible, high value. And so that is, that's what I require of people. And I'm telling you, that is my secret sauce. Because if you go in and tell me that you did something without the net value, you've wasted my time. You've wasted the, the interview's time. So you have them write five to eight accomplishment statements. And then do you have a specific formula that you have them kind of follow or is it just verb and then a dollar sign or percentage sign at the end? Good question. Um, I do have a formula, but you have to do all that writing for me first. I want to know who, what, where, when, why, and how. However, let's just go sideways a little bit here. The who is actually always going to be you. The who is always going to be you. Yes. Even if you were with a team, it's mm -hmm. about you. So, okay. That said... When you have written all these out for me, I can look at, and it's just from, comes, comes from years and years of doing this, I can look at that accomplishment, what you wrote for me, and I can say, and let me give you one of my personal best. 
Uh -huh. um, responsible for creating a commercial lease document that resulted in millions of dollars saved for the company. I call this the responsible for blank that results in blank. Uh -huh. And that fill those blanks with what and, and wow. Responsible for what that resulted in wow. I want somebody to, when they finish, when you finish saying what you're going to say, mm -hmm. I want them to say, wow, how did you do that? Because when somebody says, how did you do that? That's not what they're really saying. They're going to listen to you, yeah. but they're really saying, can you do that for me? If you can do that for me, if you can make me money or you can save me money, I'm going to hire you. So going to the responsible for uh, what and wow, in my own personal history, in my commercial real estate days, I created a commercial lease document. It was a cover sheet and I saved a lot of legal expenses for the company. I saved the company millions of dollars. My document, my statement then, so I tell this and the story goes for about three or four minutes. It's a great story because I got served by a Texas sheriff because I got sued by a realtor who said I owed him a commission. And I'm, they say the worst thing that can happen in business is if you show up at work and there's 60 minutes is there and the cameras are rolling. That's supposed to be the worst thing that can happen to a business person. Yeah. In my case, the second worst thing is when you walk into the office at eight o'clock in the morning, there's a Texas sheriff standing in your office. That's not cool. Especially no. when he goes, Richard Gillis, and I'm going, oh, no, what? And he <laughs> hands me an envelope, and he says, you've been served. And I'm like, so I looked at it. I had been sued by a realtor who said he was owed a commission. It turns out he was right. I had missed it in the original documentation. Mm -hmm. He was owed. I had to pay him $8,000. After that, I created a lease cover sheet that my, my administrative assistant, my secretary, and I, we spent a week and a half going through every commercial lease, we put a cover sheet on it that annotated every possible change that had been made or handwritten to the lease. So when you opened up the thing, you could see right off the bat. My boss comes to town. He sees what I had done. He said, what is this? And I said, Brad, I got really upset when I got sued and I lost, I had to pay that $8,000. So he says, uh, so I said, so I created a cover sheet. Yeah. Well, we were 26 office parks across the nation. I managed the office park in El Paso. Next thing you know is I had 25 general managers upset with me because they were now having to go through all their leases, but I saved the company enormous amounts of money in legal expense by avoiding that problem. Yeah. So I was responsible for creating a commercial lease document that resulted in millions of dollars saved for my company. That and somebody, if I'm in a real estate interview and I tell somebody, they're, they're going to say, how'd you do that? Yeah. And then when I tell them, they're going to go, wow. And I'm going to share with them how I did it. Let me tell you, that's another thing in an interview. Don't think you're holding anything back. Don't go into an interview considering you're consulting with that interviewer because it, you, to give it away, that person is not going to go and steal your top secret information. Yeah. And if it's that good information, write a book, you know, yeah. protect it, get it covered, but share your information, go into an interview as a consultant Tell them how you do things better than anybody else. And listen, I don't care if you're a retail clerk. I don't care if you're, you know, if you're cooking in a kitchen in a restaurant or uh -huh. if you're a CEO, you're a consultant. You're being interviewed as an expert. Go in with that attitude. Be very comfortable about it. And yeah. let me tell you another thing too. But not cocky. Comfortable, but not cocky. These, yes. And these people that are interviewing you, they want you to win. Right. As soon as you go over to the point, like I said, if you exceed I saved the company a billion dollars. Uh, you know what? Get out of here. I don't have time for this. It's all over with. And, you know, dress right, attitude, be, you know, good handshake. Well, maybe a good fist bump now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. wow, that changes elbow everything. Elbow bump, elbow bump. Elbow bump, yep. So that's, that's it. Accomplishment, what? Wow, that's a big deal. And this is, these are in my books. Oh, and by the way, Lori, if people will go to rickgillis.com and scroll to the bottom of the page, you will see a button down there that has a J on it. Click on that button. It opens up and has all my sample documents there. Okay. And that's, that's free. There's no money involved. That's free. Anybody can look at my sample documents and I hope it helps. That's but, great. But I wanted to ask you if you would share a little bit with us, Rick, about um, what your view is of the importance, in particular, talking about these accomplishment statements how many of them and what form of them you put on the profile for LinkedIn versus the resume and then what you say for the interview. So you've been talking about going in and being prepared to consult in the interview and not holding anything back. So how do you brand yourself in those three different spaces and kind of how do you take each accomplishment and uh, utilize it appropriately in each 
platform, if that makes sense. No, these are, this is a great question. Thank you. Uh, it's really important because here's what I didn't say is when you have done this accomplishments inventory for me and you've given me eight to 10 accomplishments, I'm going to help you reduce, or it's, and I tell you in the book how to do it, but yeah. I'm going to reduce that to the what and wow, responsible for blank that resulted in blank. I then want you to prepare a sheet and that's what the sample document is on my site. And it's called, you know, say Rick Gillis and it'll say a commercial realtor, personal accomplishment inventory, and then you're going to list them. This is document is meant to be as pretty as your resume. You're going to submit it with your resume okay. and it's going to show up with you at the, at the interview. I have prepped client after client and I had one guy a couple of years ago called me after his interview and was laughing because he said exactly what I said is exactly what happened. I said, Paul, be ready when you go into the interview that they are going to take your resume and they're going to push it to the side and they're going to say, we want to talk about this your accomplishments inventory, because that is how you show how you're going to make or save us money. Yeah. And then they'll go back to the resume. So anyway, that's exactly what happened. He was interviewing with a global company. He did get the job, but he called me and was laughing because he said, I couldn't believe it. They used that happened exactly the way you said, we want to talk about this. So you do have to take those accomplishments, reduce it to a single sentence, and it, like I said, when you see the sample document on my, on my site, mm -hmm. um, you'll notice that there is a statement. It'll say responsible for blank that resulted in blank, double space, responsible for blank that resulted in blank. Mm -hmm. And I want you to list those out there. A lot of white space. Make this easy to read. It's got to be easy to read. And remember that every one of these is designed to promote a tell me how you did that. Mm -hmm. And so, and listen, they can be, they don't have to be your last job as long as they're still current uh, accomplishments. In other words, you could still do them. Even if you did it three years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I could still go back and do what I did, even though I've been out of commercial real estate for 25 years. My accomplishment still stands. That is a valid accomplishment and I'm happy yeah. to share it with somebody. How to use it on your LinkedIn? Absolutely great question. Too many LinkedIn profiles go on and on and on and tell me all the things you did and all the things you were responsible for. LinkedIn is also basically a public resume. And don't look at my LinkedIn profile specifically for this reason, because my, my LinkedIn profile now is about promoting me as a speaker and uh -huh. my new book and all that stuff. So don't use me as a sample necessarily. But, um, if you go in there and under summary for each position, if you just list two or three accomplishments and listen, you personally know if they were good accomplishments based on what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And also though, think back because as I have worked with clients several times, I have been able to, somebody would tell me about an accomplishment they did. And as we walked through that, I could usually find another accomplishment that they learned how to do something before they got to their big accomplishment. So yeah. it's not uncommon for me to hear an accomplishment and say, well, how did you do this? And I find out that there's actually two or three separate accomplishments within that one. Here's the thing, um, Lori, and this is important. I'm, as you can tell, I'm a sales guy. I have always been selling. I grew up in the family hardware store. I've always been selling. The person who gets a paycheck every Friday and disengages from the job mentally and then comes back to work on Monday and re-engages is not a salesperson. I want everybody to start thinking like a salesperson. I call this the accomplishments mindset because here's another thing that I've recognized out of working with these clients for 22 years. People could come to me and tell me what they had done. They had not, could not tell me what the net result was to the company, the value, yeah. what they had done for yeah. their client or their company. Yeah. And when they start thinking like that, what happens is after a point, they start realizing other things they have done that benefited the company that maybe they should have been aware of at the time because yeah. maybe there was a promotion or a bonus or a raise in that. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you the rest of my story now. That real estate document where I saved the company, I figured I saved the company in the order of about $26 million over the next six years that I stayed with the company. That is, and by the way, that's fair. I saved them about two and a quarter million dollars a year. But if you multiply that times the next six years I stayed, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And anyway, I did not remember personally that accomplishment until 10 years after I had left the company. It didn't even exist anymore. The company sold off. I was working with a woman who was looking for advancement and we were on the phone and all of a sudden I went, damn, what I'm telling her to do, I did. 
And I went immediately to my whiteboard and I wrote it down. I just put mm -hmm. Lisa cover sheet and I kept talking to her. And then I started thinking my own thing through. So I'm as guilty as every, anybody else. And I'm the sales guy always thinking that, see a salesperson thinks that if I don't sell something this month, I don't have a job next month. That's, that's our mindset. Yeah. We also think too, if I need more money next month, I need to sell more product this month. Mm -hmm. But if you're getting a paycheck, you don't think like that. However, maybe you should. And I spent a lot of time in the new quotient book talking about this because invariably when I talk with people, I hear stories that they don't realize how good they are and how they need to share that value because they're worth more money. And that's what the quotient about. The quotient is about overcoming pay disparity mm -hmm. and it's very much built on this model. Yeah. Really great. Keep asking great questions, Lori. I love this. Really great points. Two things that I was kind of listening to as you spoke, speaking about a salesman, I think two things that make a salesman really good. Number one is optimism. And I think that's something really hard for job seekers to always maintain is that mentality of I'm worth more. I can do more. And then the other thing that I think salespeople generally really are more successful is when they have creativity. And what you're explaining is a lot of it is just creativity, talking with people and then applying it. Like I was really impressed by how many things you've done in your life that have been applied from other things that you've done. You applied principles from um, doing SEO for the job board to then resumes. And that's how you came up with the principle of using the, the words and the white space. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, like I said, being creative and applying different things in different places. The one thing I really don't like when I work with clients is a client who comes to me and says, I can do everything. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I can do yeah. everything. And you try to say, well, what are your accomplishment statements? And they say, well, I can do everything for the company. I, I They should hire me because I, I can learn. If I don't know it, I'll learn it. Right. Um, and I think that's an easy cop out because they're not being optimistic that they have a unique thing that Value. they bring to the table. And then I don't think it's being creative because they're not seeing what they really excel at and then applying those things from their other learning. And it might be external from that job, but you're always learning and you're always growing. And if you can apply that in your career, you're going to have a long-term success, right? You know, what you just said, I can do everything or whatever, or I can learn it. That's sophomoric. That's not why I'm hiring you. I'm hiring you because you're an expert at what you do. And I don't care if it's a short order cook or yeah. if you're an accounting and finance expert, it doesn't matter to me. You know, you said something about when I used to sell and I did sell, I mean, I cold called, I walked into offices, I had a lot of appointments and I had a thing that I used to do. I don't care how bad my mood was. I don't care how bad the previous call had been. Uh, you remember Jim Carrey, and I forgot, what was the movie with the animals? Um, oh, Ace Ventura. Ace no, Ventura. Remember, and he used to always go, it's showtime. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I adopted that. I would be in the elevator, and just before the door opened, especially if I was alone, not if I was with a bunch of people, yeah. but I would walk into an office, and just before then, I would, it's neuro-linguistic programming. When I snap my fingers, and that's what I would do, I would say, it's showtime. I don't care how bad the day was. I don't care how bad the fight I had with the last customer was, I don't care anything. I'm starting clean, I'm starting new, and I want everybody to think like that when they go into that interview because people, the fact that they're taking their time and inviting you to interview, they want you to win. Mm -hmm. They're looking for that person who's gonna help them move on. They want to offer you that job. Give them a reason to. Yeah, that's great. So a few comments coming in here. Veronica says, I am definitely a poor salesperson when it comes to seeing myself. And that's okay, Veronica. I also am not a very good salesperson. But something um, that I shared yesterday in my class is, and uh, Rick, I'd love to hear your advice on this, is when you feel like you can't sell yourself, just focus on your value, right? Understand your accomplishment statements and then let those speak for you. So when you don't feel like you have that... Um, persona or that character that uh, understanding your value and using that to fall back on is always going to sell you no matter if you have those five to eight accomplishments Perfect. they're always going to sell you um yeah. and then another one coming in from eric is the ats applicant tracking system only looking for keywords that match the job description or is there more to it so that's a great question that's a great question let's this is good we're gonna have to talk about this a little bit um if you guys go to my resume sample and scroll to the bottom of my uh, short form resume, you will see at the bottom keywords. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something that, honestly, I shouldn't share with you, okay? Facebook listeners, people, please do not do, do not do what I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> you guys maybe know about the whiteout technique where you take the job posting, you put it at the bottom of the resume, you white it out, and you reduce it to a one-point font. Don't do that. The software will will flag you as being deceitful and it will not let your resume go through. I know why, I can tell you why I'm that person. You can see this book right here. That was my first pull it book. Out, pull it out so we can see the name of it. We can't no, no. I don't want you to go find it. It's not available anymore. I invented the whiteout technique. I claim that space and I can t I'm not going to take all the time to tell you how I came to that, but the fact is I did and because of that, I actually got, I mean, it was like two sentences, but I got written up in the Wall Street Journal. Because of this, do not use the whiteout technique. You cannot game the system. You used to be able to. However, if you go to rickgillis.com, scroll down, hit that J button, and open the short form resume or the blended resume, you'll see at the bottom of the first page, I have keywords, and they're reduced to about an eight-point font. That is by design. And if somebody, if you put best keyword, and by the way, those keywords come from the job posting. They come from the lingo of your industry. They come from trade groups. They come from all kinds of places. And a keyword is nothing more than a term that does not already appear in the body of your resume that you're going to put at the bottom of the document. Mm -hmm. And they're just floating down there. And so you, and so take a look at how I did that. And you'll, that all you're doing there is you are gaming the system to a degree. And by the way, do this in your online application as well, but look at, um, look at the, the job posting, those keywords that are in there that you can address, that you can speak to, but that are not on your resume, because maybe you don't have experience, but maybe you studied about it. Maybe you're an expert and you're reading about it. Maybe you're taking a class and learning about it. Put it at the bottom of that resume. And so the software, not the human person, the software will see that and run your resume at the top. Because here is how it works. The resume that most matches the job posting does get sent to the top of the pile. Um, and guys, another thing too, if there's companies you want to work for, set up job search alerts because timing is imperative. The, I have had HR professionals, senior VPs of HR tell me they regularly took the first 10, 10 breaks my heart when I hear that Not the first 10 resumes out of two or 300 received and only look at those. And I've, I asked this friend of mine who was a retired chief human resource officer. I said, why that? And he says, because we only get three people we would interview out of the top 10. And I just said, oh my God, you're the enemy. I hate that. You know, what about all those diamonds that are down there below and stuff? And he said, it didn't matter. And if we didn't get a good candidate out of those top three in the first 10, we'd go look at the next 10. Wow. So timing is important. Set up a, an alert for the companies you want to work for. So that every time a keyword comes up in a posting that, that you can address, you'll get notified. If you'll take a look at my short form resume, you'll see that it can be modified. And this is by design. I designed this. I put a lot, I put seven years into designing that document. You can modify that document in a hairline quickly to submit it. All you have to do is change out the seeking statement, mm -hmm. which is the job you're looking for under the header and have to change out the accomplishments. I have an objective statement in there that is very generic as a, and this is, it's exactly the same for everybody. As a result of my skills, experience, and education, I am capable of finish the sentence. If you will read a job posting, you will see how there is read between the lines. You'll see the pain point. Every job posting is there because they have a problem they need solved and you're the person who can solve it. So address, uh, as a result of my skills, experience, and education, I am capable of solving your problem. I am capable of creating a new inventory system that will. I am capable of selling you know, above and beyond required quotas. Tell them how you're gonna make or save them money. That's really important. Get their juices flowing, get them excited. Then you'll see in my document, the next thing you'll see is four accomplishments. I didn't say three and I didn't say five. Four, it's perfect, balanced. Don't get all wordy. I was responsible for blank that resulted in blank. That's the part of this, the document that's gonna get them to call you. Mm -hmm. After that, you'll see a brief description of your employment history. You'll go to your education and your and uh, certifications you might have, and then keywords. And those keywords are there and they serve a very important purpose and that's to get you through the counting, the, the applicant tracking system. Now, 
when you get to on the applicant tracking system and you're actually filling out, and this is, I know how applicant tracking systems and the online job application sucks. I hate them, I despise them. They are designed to crush you and make you quit so you don't finish the, the, the application. Let me tell you how to get around that. I don't know the tool that it is for, uh, for Macs, however, and, and so look for the Mac comparative tool for a notepad on, on PCs. A PC has a notepad file. A notepad, open up a notepad file, leave it on your desktop. As you fill out the application, copy and paste each answer. Employment one, you write it all out. Employment two, you write it all out. Copy and paste each one on a notepad file. Notepad is important. You can't do this on a Word document because notepad adds no coding behind the copy. In other words, there's no font color, there's no font size, there's no font type. It's mm -hmm. just notepad font. Yeah, so you'll do this, and as you fill out other, do this two or three times, two or three applications, copy paste, you'll see that you're actually saying the same thing time after time. Mm -hmm. So why are you repeating it? Put it on this notepad, and the next time you open an application, copy employment one, paste it in. Copy employment two, paste it in. Massage it to fit that job posting, yeah. and you're going to have to do some custom work. But I have taken clients from doing one or two applications, online applications a day, which I know they take anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours, and they're mind-boggling. Yes. You can now get, I've had clients that are doing four in the morning and four in the afternoon, saturate the market, let everybody know. Have a good, by the way, guys, your resume in a lot of the softwares now is not even being scanned. And so for all the work you go to it, they're actually taking a photograph of it. And by the, and another thing too, the, the software is now doing a pre-scan before it even makes it to a recruiter's desktop. So you have to play the game. You have to do it appropriately. You have to do it right. And so you submit, and let's assume that you've done well, you've done well on the online application. It made it to the, the desktop. Now you have to impress that person. But by doing three or four a day, and by having an, a resume ready that's it's going to photograph and attach to that application as a digital image. Now, it may be opened, it may be looked at, it may be not, but I want you to attach, do the application, attach your resume, attach your accomplishments inventory. That is gold. And it, yes, it takes some time to do this, but it's golden and it's worth it. Um, they will be looked at, and more than likely, the online application is going to get you past the recruiter. The hiring manager is going to look more deeply at your entire, you know, everything you said, and they're going to open your resume and look at your accomplishments. So that's how the game is significantly played. And my little cheat sheet right now about how to treat the applicant, uh, applicant tracking system, the res online resume application is not neither one of my books, any of my books, because I actually need to bring that to update the job book. Uh -huh. uh, and I'm so busy. That's not going to happen anytime soon. Do you have that available anywhere? It's on, if you click on J, the J button. Oh, at the J button where it has the, it has the short resume that you're talking about, the, the blended inventory, and then the cheat sheet for ATS. Yeah, well, no, I don't have that cheat sheet. I haven't written that out. I'm telling people that. Um, okay. But the blended resume is there, which is the short form one page and then a longer form. Okay. which are used to, you see, I have told people for years to use the short form. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is I wanted them to get past the system. Yeah. But now the game has changed where your resume quite often, now not always, it depends on which system they're using. And there's about 335 some mm -hmm. online application systems out there. Um, some of them are allowing your resume to go through as a Word document. Other ones, they're actually taking a digital photograph. I have called professional friends of mine in high places and I specifically called for a personal friend and I said, hey, did you get her application? And she says, hold on a second, let me look. And she types up and she goes, no, it didn't parse correctly. And mm -hmm. I went, oh my God, what does that mean? And she said, well, we take the resume and we pull, we extract from the paper document, last name into last name slot. Uh -huh. Employment one into employment. employment. Then they just literally delete the document. Huh. Ah! Something else to be afraid of. I hated that. But yeah. so she told me, she said, have your friend resubmit. We did. And she said it parsed correctly. So there, you're at the mercy of the software as well. And this was a global company that so told me this. what do you recommend to someone? This is very discouraging for job seekers. I mean, I, we're not live here with all of you, but I'm sure if you're probably pulling your hair out because I 
I feel that way whenever I think about the ATS. So how do you encourage somebody to stay optimistic with those kinds of odds? Where do you have them start? Accomplishments. Lori, mm -hmm. it's always accomplishments. I'm going to tell you right now, and I've said it several times, and I always say it over and over when I'm, when I'm working with a client. Mm -hmm. And that is that tell me how you're going to make me money or save me money. Look at the job posting and understand that you're trying to read between the lines and identify the problem they have. Problems create opportunities and accomplishments get you opportunities. I really strongly believe that. Yeah. And, um, and like I said, it goes back to my fundamental. Tell me how you're going to make me money or save me money. And we're going to continue this conversation. Right. I, and I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And honestly, I was in the forefront starting the very first job board in Houston. I, I actually hung out at MD Anderson Cancer Center. They were the first company I ever saw install an applicant tracking system. And that's how I learned about this. I went down there at lunch and I went after work for a few days and I was asking all these questions. I was just this little pain in their side, you know, going, Rick, get out of here, get away from us. But they, that's how I learned this. And I have stayed in tune with the applicant tracking. It's, it's actually now the online application. It's not the applicant. There's no more resume filtering per se. There, there are softwares out there. They're dated now. Yeah. So every time, Oracle or SAP or IBM or Microsoft comes up with a new applicant application. There's functionality, all kinds of code behind that thing. And yeah. you have to know best how to game it and, yeah, and game so it by telling them what you're going to do for them. A lot of um, participants in my workshops, not necessarily my clients, because we talk about it one-on-one, -on -one, but participants in my workshops get really hung up with the ATS. They allow it to make them get discouraged. They, they just stay focused, hyper-focused on it. They want to learn every detail about it. And oftentimes, whenever I see a workshop being offered on it, I think that workshop's probably out of date by the time you finish it. Yeah. As they are off, they're changing it so often that really understanding your accomplishments and then networking and sharing that story is the, the, the only sure way, right, to say Let's it. talk about networking. That is, Lori, that is so important because after all the things I can tell you, and yes, you still have to have a good resume and you have to be prepared to play the game and all that stuff, 95% of all jobs are found as a result of networking. Somebody you know knows somebody who knows somebody who is looking for you. It's up to you to be prepared. I am a big fan and I have no problem telling you, you should have a a job search business card. Um, your all your business card is going to say your name. I am seeking an opportunity as that's it. That's your title. I am seeking an opportunity as a commercial realtor. Boom. You, then a phone number and an email address. That's it. On the back, if you want to put two or three little bullet points with accomplishments, mm -hmm. how you made somebody money, that's okay. But don't go and put a photograph on it. Don't get the silly one with the flower print and all that stuff. This is a white, look like a lawyer business card. Yeah. Rick Gillis, I am seeking an opportunity as a job search expert. Phone number, email address. Very That's modern. <laughs> and let me tell you what, walk out with 30 of these every day and don't come back home with any. Well, right now you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Email them to everybody. Email. You know, but seriously, work your LinkedIn, mm -hmm. email everybody. Listen, Ask your friends if their friends know somebody who is hiring for, because 95%, you know, the, the word, the word on the street has always been 90% plus. In my experience, it's 95% of all jobs are found as a result of networking. Now that doesn't mean everything I've told you today is a waste of time because you still have to be prepared yeah. when somebody says, Hey, Lori, I heard from uh, Joe Smith that you're looking for an opportunity. It sounds like, can you send me your resume? Oh, no, I don't have a resume. I've been calling people. No, you have to be ready. Okay, great. So a couple questions coming in. Um, one question is, when you send in your resume, do you send it in as a PDF or as a Word document? Good question. Good question. I love it. No PDFs. Not all the software likes PDFs, and sometimes they actually get excluded. I have been following up in this. I've been staying on top of this over the years. I maintain the same thing because a PDF, yes, is a better document. It's not like, as likely to un, you know, rearrange itself, become unformed. But um, PDFs don't always make it through the system. Send it as a Word document. So send it as a Word document and uh, maybe leave yourself some space so that it doesn't bump to two pages, right? People like to push it all, change the fonts to these weird fonts. And then when it goes, 
from computer to computer, it changes, right? So you want to stick with the known font, keep the spacings with the columns. I'm a big fan of the Calibri font. It's small, it's Me compact, too. it's really reads easily. Anybody that's using a Times Roman, if you're not an attorney seeking a job, don't use Times Roman. It's a terrible, hard to read font. Um, Calibri is kind of like Arial. It's very, but it's smaller and you can get a lot of words in there. I, I'm not a pro, I don't have a problem with telling you to use a half inch margin on a Word document, but one inch is more attractive. Yeah. Um, and I also recommend, once again, take a look at my samples. Notice the white space. Remember that that recruiter could have as many as 600 to 1200 resumes today in their inbox. And I'm not joking. I got to tell you a story, Lori. When I first started in this business, I went down to the HR Houston Symposium. There's 12, 15, 1,600 people there. And I met this woman, a professional uh, uh, chief of HR. And she told me at that time, and I remember I was brand new. And she told me at that time she could look at a resume and within three to six seconds, she knew if she was going to take any action on that. Wow. And me selling resumes trying to teach people how to use the system, that bothered me a lot. You yeah. mean these people go to all this blood, sweat, and tears, and you give it three to six seconds? Not and fair. I was mad. I was, and yeah. I don't mind telling you, I was upset about that. I left, I walked away. I ran into this woman about eight or nine years later at the same event. I, can, I remember her name. I remember where she's at. I'm not going to tell you. But I walked up to her and I said, Patricia, that was her name. I said, Patricia, I got to tell you something. My name's Rick Gillis. I said, you and I met several years ago. And the day I met you, I said, I was really mad at you. And she's like going, getting big eyes. And she's like, whoa, what was that about? And I said, I want you to, I said, you told me that you could look at a resume in three to six seconds. You knew whether or not you were going to take any action on that. And I was upset at that because you said that. I said, now I can look at a resume in three to six seconds. I can tell you if it has any value or not. And that's because I've been doing it for so long. Mostly I can take a resume and I can just do this and I can go, that's not going to cut it. And I, and I don't even have to read it. I don't have to read it. It's if you've got 1200 words on one page, you've shot yourself in both feet. You're not going to ever walk again. You've got to keep it short. You've got to keep it punchy. Tell me how you're going to make me money or save me money. I'll ask you all those other questions you want to share. Now, if you look at rickgillis.com, hit the J button, you'll see the blended resume. This is my short resume on the front page and then your traditional long form on the next two pages. That is okay. But I want that first page to really ring the bell for the recruiter. I want him or her to look at this and go, I'm going to spend... 15 seconds on this resume, because I hope that turns into 10 minutes. And they're going to call and say, hey, Bill, I think I got somebody for you here. I'm going to so, send this resume over to you right now. Do you? Two questions there. So do you recommend sending the blended resume as your resume in a posting? Or would you send a blended resume and a traditional one-page resume? I, I want you to go ahead. First of all, do what's comfortable for you, because the less experience you have, like when I look, I'm, I'm helping a young woman right now who's trying to get into college. Actually, mm -hmm. she's going to get into college. She's great. But um, I'm helping her. Hers is a one-page resume. There's just yeah. not enough history there. If you have enough history, go with a two- or three-pager. Make sure that first page really gets her attention. But you missed something there, Lori, that I want to say. Mm -hmm. I want you to send your resume as well as that accomplishments inventory document. Those are two separate documents. Yeah. Make sure your accomplishment document looks as pretty and as formatted as, att as attractive as your resume. And I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you, do you put the same accomplishments from your inventory on your resume? Great question. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When I told you, I want you to put the header, the seeking statement, the objective statement, and then four accomplishments. Yes. Those are exactly, they could be the first four. They could be the middle four. They could be anywhere on that sheet. But yeah, an accomplishment repeated, nothing, you know, you can re-ring a bell. Sometimes yeah. that can be good. Definitely. Sure. All right, some comments coming in. <laughs> One person said, what? I had a professor tell me to always use Times Romans and that he would fail an assignment if I did it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate professors too. He claimed to be a resume expert, so now I need to update my resume to Calibri, question mark. Yes, uh, Times New Roman is, not only like you were saying, is it hard to read, but it's an older font, I feel like. It, it, uh, it was the standard when Word first came out, but now with marketing and you can see like, like for instance, everybody knows the trend of going to the white background as like, when, if you go to Apple, everything's white and all their fonts are no longer, um, they're sans serif, not serif. And exactly. Is no serif tail, no serif. Font. Yeah. And so as we've moved into this more modern, more clean, 
space, that's why we've changed. So that may have been accurate when he was teaching, but now this cleaner space does make you look a lot more modern. And Laurie, Laurie, let me say something about that too. Um, I read, I, one of the things that I despise in the whole world is certified resume writers, because I don't know who the hell certifies resume writers. Yeah. I know I should have started doing that 20 years ago. That's what I should have done. <laughs> These are putting, by the way, you do not put blocks and boxes and shadows and shading on your resume. If you yeah. want to do that to hand to somebody personal, that's fine. That stuff will get you kicked out of any system. It will not scan boxes and shadows. I don't even recommend, and if you read my book, you'll see it. I don't even recommend a continuous line across the page. Those can be read as a page break and go to the next file, the next person's resume. So underscoring is fine, nothing else. But most of the, go to LinkedIn. Everybody's a job search expert. The only problem is most of them aren't. Yes. You know, I promise you, I'm not misleading you. I've done this for 22 years. I helped launch this industry. I have been deep in it. I've never left it. The day I die is when I'll quit talking about it, honestly. So how do you judge? How do you judge a good resume writer or a good job search expert from a phony? I hate to say phony. They're not phony, but how- They're not like, phony. What, no, no. There's a lot of validity. What do you value that you look for? I tell you to do your own. I don't want you to hire somebody to do it for you. I really don't. Yeah. I Listen, I had one woman one time that called me up and she said, I want to pay you to write my resume. And I said, great. I don't write resumes. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I teach people how to write their resumes. I'll review them. I'll advise them. I'll critique. Mm -hmm. But I will never write anybody's resume. And I never have. Yeah. Even my own kids. I have not done that. Um, this one lady said, I'll pay you $250. And this was actually, it wasn't a phone call. She actually was in a group of people. And I said, I won't accept your money. But thank you. That's great. I, that's, that's a bunch of money. Yeah. She took it all the way up to $500 or $750. And I said, it doesn't matter how much you offer me. I will not write your resume. I'm doing you a disservice. Yeah. So the right answer is, you write your own resume. I have provided you the format. The book and this interview has a lot of tools that have you thinking. And you know, it's pretty darn simple when I said accomplishments, tell me how you're going to make me money or save me money, you know, and then tell me your expertise, your education, whatever, of why I should believe you. Give me that supporting documentation. I will then call you and start challenging you. And if we get past that phone call, I can't wait to meet you in person. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I agree with you because the thing I hate the most is when a client comes to me and they show me their resume and they say, I spent $700 on this resume. <laughs> Number one, I can't edit it. That makes me so mad. I cannot edit this resume. Can you help me fix it? And I'm like, no, because they put it in some program. That's number one. And number two is when they pay somebody and they bring it over and it's just like a computer spit it out or it's not even centered on their industry. And I just breaks my heart because I agree with you. I agree that it, the format is one thing and as applicant tracking systems get more complicated the less uh like frills they want right like the lines they make right. it harder and harder for these complex algorithms so you want to get closer and closer to just clean text-based resumes and not having all these weird formatting issues and so if you get closer and closer to that that should be the easier it is for you to edit it and the less likely it is for you. And not just that, you need to potentially manipulate it for different applications, different job postings. Yeah. I, I did a radio interview many years ago with this guy in Salt Lake City. And prior, he was trying to ambush me and it was really a lot of fun. Prior to going on air, five minutes before his producer called me and said, I just emailed you his resume. He's going to ask you about that. And so he did. He brought up his, he, I had his resume. I had it on my screen. We're talking just like this. And he said, I paid uh, $500 to have that done. I said, no, you didn't. You paid $750 for this. And he said, I had that done by one of the leading companies in the nation. And I said, I know exactly who you did it. And I'm not going to say the name because I'm not going to get sued. But you can say it. You paid him. And he did. And I said, I know exactly who did this. And it's yeah. not a good resume. And I went through. Anyway, what he had told me, he said, I had that done 11 months ago. I have never gotten one single invitation to interview or a phone call from that document. And I said, I know why. And so he said, when we go off the air, I'm going to work with you. And he says, and when we do my resume, I'm going to call you back on the air. And I said, that would be cool. So we did it. And true to his word, he called me. This was a Friday evening. He called me 30 minutes after we went on the air. I told him how to do it. I sent him, he bought the, he did, got the digital book and he spent the next two days doing it. Monday morning, he sent me his new per my format resume. 
And then he, his producer called me a month later and said, Tim would like to have you back on the air. I said, cool. Didn't tell me anything. I knew exactly what his resume had that was wrong to begin with. The very first entry said he was the president and owner of. People don't hire CEOs, presidents, founders, or, or owners because it's hard to boss somebody who's been in charge. Yeah. So I said, first thing we're going to do is we're going to change your title to general manager. Yeah. And Which, that's well, it. This is a great point for today's market where so many people are freelancing. They want to use that title. But I agree with you 100%. You won't see, you, won't see, you know, now I'm starting to use Richard Gillis company as my company and it's because it's in the book and stuff. And I said it was an LLC, but I've resisted that for years and years. I, and I work by myself. This is the company. You're looking at it right here. So yeah. Tim calls me up, puts me on the air and he starts off by saying, I worked with Rick. I followed his format. I got his resume out within the first week. I got 11 phone calls and I got three interviews. And um, basically he said, Rick, I just want you to know on air, this thing works. Mm -hmm. And I was tickled because this guy was in my face on our first, he was mad. He had spent all this money, you know, and it didn't work for him. And I, I will tell you this, it was one of the big, big, really still well-known websites that did it. And I was on Business Insider in New York a few years ago, and I wanted, the CEO was there that day, I wanted me to them to put me on the air with him and challenge, let me challenge him. They weren't going to do it, and it's just as well, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's great advice. I really do agree with you on that. Um, and one thing, I mean, one thing, I don't know if you've read the What Color Is Your Parachute book? I have scanned it. I've not read it. I was recent. I have only scanned it too, but I was recently looking at it at his resume section. And what I really liked about it is he had pictures of resumes. And the one thing he really stressed was I have seen every type of resume land a job. I've seen resumes where I give them to a resume writer and they say, that's crap. It's never going to land. But he says they land. And I think what goes down to is really what you're saying, showcasing that business value and being very authentic to yourself and all the rest of this stuff, these specifics, yeah, the applicant tracking system might kick you out, but if you keep knocking with a good product, you're eventually going to find a buyer, right? And so I think you're absolutely right, Lori. You're absolutely right. Do not get dejected. Um, we're in a bad time. I was I worked through the internet bubble when that thing collapsed several years ago. Every IT professional, I mean, wow, it was it was bloody. It was gruesome. I worked through the recession. I worked with people all over the place. Um, there is somebody looking for you. If you're looking for a job, there is somebody looking for you. It's your job to go find that person and express your value to that person. That's really it. So Lori, you're absolutely right. And listen, by the way, Lori, people don't, maybe don't know what you do, but I appreciate giving your time speaking to your group at least once a week. And I know that once a week generates a lot of other people who you're probably helping privately and personally. So bravo to you too. I really do appreciate what you do. This is a big deal. It's a time. It's the time to be back in that space. Well, know? it's a big, it's a big mind shift. Like you said, suddenly all these job seekers have to be salespeople and not everybody is a salesperson. You know what, Lori, let me interrupt on that. I want to take away from that person thing of being a salesperson because I just, I don't disagree with you. Mm -hmm. I want to say it's more a matter of having the confidence. That woman that sent you the comment earlier, I can't sell myself. That person needs to spend time on this accomplishment inventory because after you've done this, after a while, you go, wow, I'm pretty good. Look at what I am. You look at this. Um, that's what this is about. It's about confidence. And listen, I, I'm going to tell you real quick too. I have a fallback position for women negotiating salary because in my experience, women don't negotiate salary. They don't ask for the promotion. They don't ask for the raise. I'm not being sexist. That's what that quotient book is all about is how yeah. to get pay equality. I am so pro women and pay parity. Matter of fact, I don't believe in equal pay anymore for equal work. I believe in the proper pay for the best performance. Now we have no discrimination in the discussion period. But let me tell you my fallback position, and I have used this personally with two friends of mine, very close friends of mine, and it was very successful. One woman in Dallas I worked with, she got the offer, and it was exactly at the bottom of her range. And this is interesting. She was an attorney. Um, it was a startup, and she really wanted the job. And so she called me up, and she said, I got the offer. It's at the bottom of my range. And I said, great, congratulations. Let's go back and negotiate. She says, no, 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 it's, it's in my range. It's, but it was at the bottom. Yeah. And I said, her name was Nellie. And I said, Nellie, here's what I want to recommend to you. I want you to go in and I want you to ask for, 
I don't mind telling you, it was 15,000 more dollars, a mm -hmm. lot of money. And she said, oh my God, they're going to say no to this. And she was interviewing with four men. It was a brand new startup, four guys and her. And I said, okay, if this thing, go in there and negotiate for it. If it starts to collapse, I want you to stand up. If it looks like you're losing the deal altogether, stand up, stick out your hand and say, I accept your original offer. I want to work here. Boom. Fallback position. I'm now comfortable in the back of my, my mind. She went in, negotiated. She got the $15,000. She called me from her car. I thought she was going to run off the freeway. And it was, I mean, she was so happy. I said, call me back later. I actually tell the story in, in, I think it's in the quotient book. But another also female attorney went and she said, they made the offer. And I said, great, now let's go negotiate. And she said, no, but I said, you're going to counter. I said, I gave her the same fallback. Mm -hmm. This was a legal jostle in a, national, in a global company. And um, she went and did the deal and she got the raise. Mm -hmm. Story, the next morning, she got a call back from the guy who was going to be her new boss. And he said, I would have been disappointed if you had not negotiated rate. Wow. He wanted her to do that. If you're going to represent me and my company and potentially go to court and you can't negotiate for yourself. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Ladies, yeah. please, please, I implore you to negotiate. You have a fallback now. If it looks like yeah. it's going to collapse in front of you and you really want the job, stand up, put out yeah. your hand, say, I accept your original offer. I want to work here. But until love, then, go for it. I love what you're saying. And thank you for cutting me off because I do agree with what you're saying. It's not about being a salesperson. It's about being confident in your product. And that's why we sell. That's how we sell. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point because you're right. Salesperson makes it sound like you have to like build a marketing campaign or you have, yeah, exactly. Look at me. But it's really just more about being confident and believing in yourself and understanding your values. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I really mean is by pointing at me is I'm not shy. I will talk to a wall, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll wait for that wall to talk back to me. But a lot of people aren't as outgoing as I am. I understand yeah. that. So confidence is the place to go. Yeah. All right. Great. So another question here. I definitely need to, um, some tips on how to effectively negotiate. So does the quotient talk about negotiation or does it mostly discuss? So for those of you who don't know, the quotient is um, Rick's new book, and is it on the shelves already? Oh yeah, well, it's not I mean, on the find shelves it. there, but is yeah, it right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll find it only on Amazon. I self-published. Okay, I've self-published all of my books, so you won't find it in stores. But it is available digital, um, uh, Audible. Mm -hmm. It's available in all the formats: paper, hardback, the whole bit. So yeah, um, how is it, is it gonna? Let me tell you, the quotient goes another place. This goes to a place where I'm imploring people, and especially women who are not being paid fairly. And when I say that, I really mean anybody who's being discriminated against. Um, black women make 10 cents further. Women, women generally make 20 cents less than men in, per dollar. Black women generally make 10 cents less than that. Black men even make less than that. It's wrong. I don't agree with any of it. I believe in proper pay for the best performance. You can show me you're the performer. So that's what the book is about, teaching you how to identify, source, identify, and establish a value for your accomplishments that you perform on the job, and also how to pay attention to what you do. Because in my experience, and I said this earlier, most people go to work and they do their job, and that is a quotient of one. That is means you're 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 being paid exactly for what you're delivering. Bare minimum, you're keeping house. You're you're right. You're maintaining. But yeah. people, I find that almost everybody I know that I've ever worked with actually is worth more and more and more. But they don't know how to express that. That's what the quotient's about. And this is about taking your information to your annual performance review with a document that shows all the things you did this year. I had of a woman, there's, I have 14 what I call Q studies in the book where I show examples, real world examples of people I worked with and how we de determine their quotient. By the way, the quotient is this. I pay you $50,000 a year. You deliver $250,000 in value to me. $250,000 divided by $50,000, your quotient equals five. You delivered five times your pay to me. You're making money for me. I'm pleased. I'm proud. Do you know that you delivered five times and you, because maybe you think you're a quotient of one, you're getting paid for what you're doing. But if you delivered five times, maybe you're entitled to a bonus, a raise, or a promotion. 
And me, the white, mostly white guy, I am mostly white. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. Yeah. But because um, I'm Hispanic too. Hispanic. Yeah, the name is Gillis. That's but we're joking and, about. He's part Hispanic. And I'm. You notice in the background, right? He notices in the background. That's my mama. Um, but so I'm a white male and you're a black female working together. My quotient this year was a five. Yours was a 27. But I got the promotion, the raise, and the bonus because I went and played golf with the boss and I had drinks. I don't agree with that. I don't accept that. So that's what the quotient is about. So um, will it help you negotiate? It won't hurt you. It won't hurt you. But I'm not going to tell you I have a chapter in there about negotiation because I yeah. don't specifically. And really, my negotiation basis is always accomplishments and being able to tell the who, what, where, when, why, and how, yeah. and express how you made somebody money. And listen, people, I know a lot of you don't make the company money. Salespeople make the company money. The rest of you do create value by being efficient or creating or doing something savings. In other words, if I can replace you with one person, pay that person less money, and they can do a better job, you're not worth your commercial value, which you think you're worth. And that's an important, and that is in the book, because commercial value is something we don't talk about, but everybody has a commercial value, and that is how much you are being paid to do what you do. Are you being rated accurately in your commercial value, and are you being paid fairly? In my, I had one woman, this is a heartbreak, one woman came up to me after one of my... Um, workshops and she told me that in 31 years of working for the same company she had never gotten a raise oh my god she got cost of living raises you know but she had never she said that at 31 years there she finally went to her boss and she virtually demanded a raise and i said what prompted you to do that and she said my son had a medical issue and I was like, oh, my God. I just it, And you know what? I, I felt so bad for her. But honestly, it was her fault. Yeah. She should have stood up for herself. She should have said, hey, I'm pretty damn good. I've been here for 31 years. You know how reliable that woman was, the product she was delivering? To even be there for three years, five years, mm -hmm. she was entitled to some, at the minimum, bonus, you know? Uh, she was entitled promotion. So, and if you don't get the promotion, get the money. Really, who needs the title? Give me the money. Yeah, definitely. So, is the quotient written to the job seeker or to the the career professional, or is it written to the um, manager? Good question. Both. The it's actually I call it book one and book two. The first book is about sixty sixty five percent of the of the quotient, and that is written for the individual. Okay. The last thirty five forty percent is written to enterprise and business and how they can implement this model. Okay. Great. Well, we're about at time. It's been an hour. So, so I want to thank you guys for joining us today. And thank you, especially Rick, for sharing your knowledge with us and telling us about some of the work that you do and the experience that you had. Thank and you, Lori. Thank, thank you so much for inviting me. This is a blast. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Any other pieces of advice or comments? Go find me on LinkedIn. I'm an open networker. Happy to connect with you. Okay. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Rick. And thank you to everybody who joined. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's Camacho Career Interview. If you found this helpful, please click subscribe and consider joining the Facebook Camacho Career page to follow along with our community and share your feedback or suggestions with us.